Hello and welcome to the Education Community Podcast, an exciting new platform brought to you by Bernardo's, the National Children's Charity. My name is Chris Paul and I will be your podcast host. Our aim is to produce episodes that will be supporting mental health and well-being across a variety of education services within the United Kingdom. We plan to interview a range of professionals in order for us to have a wider understanding of staff well-being, trauma, loss and bereavement as we continue to try and navigate through the difficult times faced across the country. Welcome to episode two of the Education Community Podcast and thank you very much for engaging with the show. We hope if you've listened to episode one that you have enjoyed it and this is why you're coming back for more. We're just wanting to put a disclaimer out at the start of this podcast for any sound quality or background noise issues that may occur as a result of working from home and social distancing and engaging with uh, interviews over Zoom can be an issue. So just so you're aware that that is why and we'll do our best to minimise that where possible. So just in a little bit of context to to where we're at at the minute as a country, um, at the time of the recording, most of the United Kingdom remains in some sort of lockdown phase. And that is obviously causing issues for a lot of people at the minute. Um, Obviously, COVID cases are are rising in certain areas, but we're hoping that that the vaccine programme that's been rolled out can give us some hope and we can start to move forward with that. But yeah, in the the context of the podcast, there's a lot of uncertainty around at the minute for the country. And we're hoping in in these series of podcasts to shine some light on that, but also to try and foster some hope as well. So our focus in this podcast is going to be looking at the research that underpins the Education Community Project. And I'll be interviewing Henry Steed, who is a user researcher for Barnardo's. Henry has done amazing work that he will share with you across the United Kingdom, engaging with education professionals and finding out exactly what's happening in the education settings across the country, which is allowing us to do the work that we are doing as well. I am now joined by Henry Naylor-Steed, user researcher for Bernardo's. How are things with yourself, Henry? Uh, if I'm honest, Chris, they're pretty good in the Cirques. Uh, just trying to just trying to take it one day at a time, you know. Um, things in London are, are pretty strict as they are in the rest of the country. But um, yeah, all in all, I've got my health. So that's that's as much as can be asked for, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's good, and it is. It's very strange times. Obviously, we're into I don't know what lockdown version it is in in uh, London, but for us, it's probably lockdown three um, in Scotland. So as as strange times, but as you say, it's just good to to be healthy and and obviously still um, functioning as as best we can and in the circumstances. But as I say, thanks very much for for joining us uh, today to share. A little bit about your work. I gave yourself a, a small introduction at the start, um, but if you can just sort of elaborate on your role and how that links into our project with the education community, please. Sure. So I am a user researcher in the innovation team at Bernardo's. So my job really is to speak to our service users users and families and also our staff and other frontline professionals to understand 
what their needs and experiences are on any given project that I'm working on so that we can understand how we can build digital products to help support their needs. So in the case of the, the education hub project, I was working with education staff uh, in Scotland and in England at a primary, secondary and a further and higher education level to understand what the experience of teaching in lockdown was like, to understand sort of how they felt their, their students were coping and to understand a bit about what the return to, to education was like when schools reopened back in September. Obviously things are quite different again now, but um, yeah, I, I basically provide qualitative research primarily uh, um, from the frontline perspective. That's great. No, it's, it's really good. And, and I've had a chance to, to look, obviously, through the, the research given that I'm involved in in the project. But what I would mm. obviously like you to, to share is the, the sort of key messages that, that you maybe found in. I'll start, first of all, on the, the Scottish one, which is uh, the one that I had read recently. Um, mm. If you could maybe share some of the, the key messages for, from that, that would be great. Sure. So I worked with our colleagues up in Scotland to recruit some teachers, mainly from schools that we already had um, existing working relationships with, uh, to, un to understand, as I said, what the experience of teaching during lockdown was like. We had certain specific um, assumptions coming into this project originally that uh, schools were going to be experiencing significant levels of um, trauma among the young people that they they that are in their care uh, on returning back to school whether that was trauma as a result of bereavement and loss um, because of the pandemic or around um, academic attainment and anxiety around that or wider social anxieties or exacerbated health anxieties so generally our feeling as an organization coming into this was that we were going to be needing to, to help schools to navigate these, these um, sort of more heightened traumatic experiences for young people. So a lot of the work we did in Scotland, because they returned to school three weeks before any of the other home nations, uh, focused really on, on trying to get more clarity from a teacher perspective on how students were presenting to them on the return to school. Um, so we started talking about uh, sort of what happened in April thereabouts when we nationally just closed all the schools on, I think it was a Tuesday. Um, and so what teachers were telling us were sort of at a high level that those, um, those families who were already in deprivation found unsurprisingly that the lockdown measures and teaching from home was much harder and what was really encouraging was that we found across the board and this is true nationally that all frontline teaching staff mobilized really quickly to reach out to families to help support other um local authority local authority services in delivering food parcels doing check-ins weekly or daily with students and with parents 
just to make sure that everyone was okay. Um, and, and it seemed that a lot of leadership staff in our schools uh, were very proactively liaising with other statutory bodies to make sure that those families that were struggling had the reassurance and the support they needed. We also found that after the sort of, um, I suppose you call it, holiday joy that, that young people, it was reported, were experiencing not, no longer having to go to school. Once that joy faded off, um, teachers in Scotland were telling me that um, the, the routine and the structure of school was something that fell away very quickly for, for young people. So things like inconsistent bedtimes, lack of outdoor exercise and activity, high amounts of time on screens, all things that in some ways are just necessary results of, of us having to move to remote teaching. Um, but it was especially difficult, again, for our more vulnerable young people who don't either have the um, sort of the hardware and the, the tech capabilities to, to engage in online, le online learning. And I know a lot of local authorities did facilitate a rollout of laptops and, um, and data yeah. packages to, to um, more deprived families. Uh, but the, just the general cramped living conditions was something that really did have an impact on, on the young people. Um, when we got, when, when we started talking about the return to school and what teachers were experiencing there, we, it was being told to us that children were showing a lot of resilience, um, that there was in a sense, there was a bit of a honeymoon period, you know, coming back to school, seeing your mates, any, uh, sort of antagonisms or, or rivalries that had built up over the summer, primarily online through um, Instagram and Snapchat were sort of leveled out fairly quickly. Um, and what, what really started to come through was that schools were not as we had anticipated, picking up on a lot of palpable um, traumatic experiences from young people. There would be a few children who, who had maybe lost a loved one, um, or who were having it, it sort of more intensified difficulties at home as a result of, um, you know, COVID exacerbating unemployment and that sort of thing. Um, but by and large, we noticed a, a really palpable sense of, of resilience among students. So that was really encouraging to hear. And what we were hearing that was equally interesting was that schools were saying that they didn't feel that they had, they were not equipped to deal with either their own or their colleagues' mental health. And that actually this emphasis on um, teachers needing more support was something that really, really shone through in the early phases of the research. So in the second phase of research, when English schools opened, um, I worked with colleagues down here to recruit um, from secondary schools, but also from further education colleges, particularly because yeah. we wanted to understand what the experience was like for those young people who might have more um, uh, needs or vulnerabilities when it comes to learning. Um, and with this phase of research, we took the findings around the need to support um, teachers more and we were trying to, to drill down into that to understand sort of what 
what English secondary and further education staff were doing for each other and how their more vulnerable young people were being supported. Because at this point we were into October, so there'd been a bit of time for things to bed down. Mm-hmm. And we we found out some things that were not very surprising at all. For example, um, in all of the regions, we, we found that uh, local and regional lockdowns have been extremely disruptive and only amplified the level of stress for teaching staff. Um, this was at all all tiers of of um, of education, and it was only made more difficult by by the poor communication in policy decisions coming from uh, local, regional, and national government. Um, we also found that in further education colleges, although they weren't struggling, staff weren't struggling to to implement social distancing requirements um, because their their learning and their curriculum was already partly set up for distance learning. So it was a much less acute shift than it had been in primary and secondary. What they did find was an issue for them was that because of the social distancing requirements, they often didn't have enough classrooms. And this was in, we spoke to staff in colleges in three different counties in the southwest of England, and they all said the same thing, which is the students that we have on our access courses who tend to come from more deprived backgrounds tend to be more vulnerable were sometimes having to miss one week in every three because they didn't have the the capacity to offer teaching for all the students on the course at once. So obviously the impact of that remains to be seen, but that is a a very worrying thing. And and I know that that's something that was reported as being a stress point for quite a lot of staff at a further education level in England. Um, We also found that, and and I, I, I'm not entirely sure about the reasoning behind this one, but in in England, we were finding that uh, levels of absence among, among staff in general compared to previous years. Um, a tentative hypothesis around that is that um, in lieu of just staying away when you feel a bit ill, staff were just taking advantage of being able to work from home and doing that and and that added flexibility although probably not ideal in the long run was leading to a reduction in absences um and i think also something that we found quite interesting at a further education level certainly not the case at secondary or primary but at a further education level staff stress was reported to be lower again i think because of this sort of newer, more flexible work arrangement. Um, but in any event, at, at a, an administrative and, and a sort of um, educational planning level, the requirements for having to self-isolate uh, as a team or as a department were incredibly disruptive when it came to both the sort of pedagogic uh, and administrative uh, elements of, of running a college or a school. and. Uh, another sort of clutch thing that came out of this research, which is going to be incorporated into future future research phases on this, was around the strain that was put on learning support staff. Now, I ha- wasn't able to speak to any support staff directly, and this all came through um, team leaders and leadership uh, in England, but that at any, so any tier of education in, in the UK, 
if a, a child or an adult has an SEN diagnosis or an EHCP, um, which is an educational healthcare plan, then they are entitled to and are provided with a learning support assistant to help them with their learning in class. So because that is a much more hands-on role than general teaching staff, the combination of lockdown and social distancing restrictions and the impact that had on things like timetabling has meant that in both schools and colleges, we've had very, very particular impacts on the well-being of staff that provide learning support. And those staff also tend to earn significantly less than uh, conventional teaching staff, which itself has further ramifications in terms of the disruption to their, to their uh, economic security. Um, yeah. So those are some, those are some big findings that came out of this. Um, yeah. Do, if you have any questions, of course, do, do jump in. No, I think they are the, the, the findings that, that we had looked at as, as a team as well. And I think that the bit that you've touched on at the end in regards to the, the wider teaching staff in terms of the support assistance and the classroom assistance, it's such a, a, a vital point because sometimes I think that they can get missed out when we're talking about teaching staff, when we talk about the pressures that teachers are under um, and they, they do such a vital role. So I think it's great that your research shined a light on those people and the, the, the hard work that they're doing and, and our project is certainly going to be looking to put resources in place for, for them as well because they are a vital part of how each school is, is run effectively and the, the work mm. that they do with you know, the children and young people that need it. So it's, it's good that that Absolutely. was findings, yeah. And one of the, the, the points that, that I had felt when I had read both uh, reports was one of the sort of themes that, that goes through it. And I think it's probably been a wider theme with the, the global pandemic on its own um, is mental health and, and well-being, not just of the young people and the, the children and young people and the pupils, but also mm. for families. Uh, who are at home Absolutely. obviously um, and also for the staff you know the school staff and I think it, it's very uh, it's very important that, that we look at that to try and support people with that because it's the well-being of, of people has been been tough and I had on one of your research papers with, with the universities I believe they they were talking about obviously severe issues with, with mental health and discussing suicide as well so there's something mm -hmm. that we need to be we need to be aware of i think as we are, as we try and support teaching staff for our uh, project is the, the mental health of, of everyone absolutely uh i mean both within the both within these these research phases and anecdotally you know my family and, and friends who who are teachers are saying essentially that they were having to work two or three jobs not not only were they having to teach their own classes and prepare lessons and do the marking, uh, they were invariably having to pick up slack where their colleagues had had to self-isolate or take time off because they'd gotten sick. Um, in addition to having to do addition, uh, sort of reporting constantly um, and working with ever-changing guidelines around, around public health and safety. So... Yeah, it's it's unsurprising and almost it's incredibly saddening to see the strain that 
that our teachers are under at the moment. Um, and yeah, as you say, mental health totally shone through across all, all tiers of teaching, uh, all tiers of education in, in, in the UK. Um, yeah, amongst, among the most vulnerable students, yeah, we, we, we were hearing a lot of incredibly difficult messages coming through, especially at a further education level where, as, as I've touched on, students can be more likely to come from or have additional vulnerabilities um but, but addition, yeah again staff staff mental health and staff well-being is is an absolute priority for this piece of work and I'm, I'm really glad that i've been able to contribute to to drawing attention to to that need with with the research that we've done yeah yeah no I, i'm the same because i think it's it's really important although we're, we're, our service is aiming to support teachers to support you know the the children and young people give them resources give them training when your your own well-being's you know on the floor and your, your mental health is really difficult it's, it's going to be hard to support yourself never mind support other people so i think mm. that's our main priority which is why the theme of this podcast is around mental health and a well-being of your, your own mental health and well-being but also trying to look after other people so i just think with, with the the theme of the podcast if you can even share maybe a key message from your research or a key message from yourself to any teachers support teachers any teaching staff or members of a school staff team that are potentially listening to this as mm. try and navigate him through what is going to be a, a tough period of time ahead i think sure so i think the first thing for any um, any educators or administrative and support staff who are listening who might have spoken to me before I just wanted to thank uh, all of those people who took time out to to participate in this research um, it's been invaluable for helping us as an organization to work out where our priorities are um, I think the thing that is most promising for me from this piece of work is the development of the community of practice so I suppose a message that I would have would be where you feel you have capacity to contribute do try to give us feedback and, and and get involved with that with that community that we're building because your your voices and your contribution will shape it and building that sense of solidarity in in these both uh, actually and emotionally dark times i think will be a real benefit to it to everyone yeah, no, it's great. It's a, it's a great point. It's something that I'm very excited about myself with the, the, the communities of practice and the potential that, that we've got for that. And I'll echo exactly what, what you've said as well to all the, the staff that have engaged with you for the research because it is really taking shape and shaping where we are going to go. So echo what you said. And thanks, mm -hmm. thanks to yourself as well, Henry, for coming on to the podcast but first and foremost for doing the the research at such a, a a tough time and appreciate it because it's for our team i know you've you've came and shared the the research with ourselves but it's really giving us the foundations to move forward so thank you for all of your support as well not at all and i've been um, really grateful to have been on here so thanks for having me not not a problem thank you very much for your time thank you <laughs>
Thanks again to Henry for that really interesting insight into his research, which has shaped our service and will shape our service moving forward. We're now going to move into our theme for the end of each podcast for the next three or four episodes, which is going to be around mental health and well-being. Our particular focus at the end of each podcast episode is to try and support your own well-being as an educator. And we know that times can be difficult and challenging at the minute. As I mentioned at the start of the podcast, we know that schools remain open, but we also know that a lot of our young people are at home and home learning for teaching staff is not easy to do. So we know times are hard for yourself just now and sometimes Engaging with your own well-being can be a challenge on its own. However, we're going to end, as I say, each podcast for the next few with some mindfulness. And we have worked in collaboration with Sharon McCafferty, who is a project worker in Scotland for Barnabas. But Sharon is also a qualified mindfulness practitioner and teacher. And she works for an organisation named Mindfulness Time For Me. Sharon has kindly offered to do some voice recordings for us to end each podcast with. And we hope that this is something that can support your well-being. I will now pass you over to Sharon, who will take it from there. Hi, my name is Sharon McCafferty from Mindfulness Time For Me. And I'm a mindfulness practitioner and teacher. I wanted to tell you a little bit about mindfulness before we begin a very, very short practice. So mindfulness is knowing what is happening whilst it's happening without preference. So this basically means present moment awareness. So knowing exactly what's going on at that time and moment. And what I'm going to do over the next six episodes is give you a flavour of what mindfulness is and I'm going to do a number of different practices for you. So in this session, I'm going to do a very short breathing exercise just to get you familiar with regulating the breath and the body. And then in the next episode, I'm going to do a settling the mind practice where we focus a little more on the relaxing qualities of the out-breath. Then I'm going to introduce you to a three minute breathing space, which you can use at any time. And then the following session, I'll look at a grounding activity that looks at using all the senses to bring you back into the present moment. And again, this can be used at any time, particularly when we're maybe having a little bit of stress in the moment. Then I'm going to do a short beach visualisation. And then the final session will look at bringing some kindness to ourselves when things are difficult. And that'll include putting a hand on our heart and giving ourselves a kind gesture of some sort. So that's the programme of the next few episodes. So generally, when we're doing mindfulness, it's helpful to have your feet flat on the floor, sitting down on a chair or a cushion with your back reasonably straight. Now these practices can also be done lying down as well, if that's your preference. So I'm going to take you through a very short three minute practice on regulating the breath. So let's begin. So begin by bringing your attention into your posture, back reasonably straight, 
feet flat on the floor and the eyes can be open or closed, whichever is comfortable for you. And then begin by focusing on a very relaxed way on the breathing. Becoming aware of the breath coming in and the breath going out. So noticing as you breathe in, you know you're breathing in, breathing out, you know you're breathing out. Trying to keep the in-breath and the out-breath similar length and rhythm. In order to do this, you may want to introduce counting. So breathing in for a count of three or four and breathing out to a similar count. If counting makes the mind tense in any way, simply drop the counting and use a phrase such as I'm breathing in, I know I'm breathing in, breathing out, I know I'm breathing out. And thoughts will be present. Don't worry about it. Just gently bringing the focus back to regulating the breathing and the counting of phrases if that's helpful for you. Really tuning into the breath in the body. Perhaps noticing the rise and fall of the chest. Becoming aware of the natural rhythm of your breathing. And then allowing the breath to return to its natural rhythm. Dropping any phrases or counting. And just resting here for a moment. And each time the mind wanders off into thoughts, Gently bringing it back to focus on the breath and the body. And as we come towards the end of this short practice, perhaps dedicating this to the benefit it may bring to ourselves and the benefit it may bring to those around us and ever widening circles. Thank you for listening to the Education Community Podcast brought to you by Bernardo's. We hope to see you again soon.